0: I'm Nick Turzo and you're listening to The Radical. With today's episode, I finally get an opportunity to go deeper into the country music genre. My guest has written 29 country songs that have charted number one. He has also been nominated for and won many CMA, ACM, and Grammy awards. He has regularly collaborated with artists such as Kenny Chesney, Keith Urban, Dirks Bentley, Blake Shelton, and Darius Rucker. From his start as an ambitious young man earning a record deal in the UK, where he had a couple of top 40 hits, to blindly moving to Nashville to pursue being a producer and songwriter. With this move, he demonstrated enormous courage and belief in himself. And now, he circles back to being an artist with today's release of his new EP, Somewhere There's a Light On. It is my extreme honor to welcome award-winning songwriter and producer Ross Copperman to today's show. Ross is not only incredibly gifted, he is also one of the most generous and self-aware guys I've ever met. We will get into a deep discussion about the magnitude of his output and also his philanthropy with the song farm and its mission to set up recording studios in public high schools. Coming up, my chat with Ross Copperman. Hey, Ross Copperman, what's up? Hey, Nick. Thank you for doing this. I'm extremely, um, I'm just very thankful that you did this with me today. Thank so. you for
1: having
0: me, man. Um, and congratulations! I guess the uh, ACM nominations came out this morning, and you got one for the uh, was it single of the year category? Yeah,
1: Gabby Barrett. This this the song. I hope is just keeps blowing my mind with what it's achieving. As you know, I'm so proud of her and happy for Gabby. She's just, she's a true true artist, like with true vision.
0: That's awesome. Um, what is there five women in that category for that yeah. particular category? Oh
1: wow! It, yeah, it was it and
0: Yeah, it's killing it. Wow. The women are killing the single of yeah. the single of the Pretty year awesome. category. It's
1: a good time. To, it's a good time to be in the country music business now. You know, mm. it,
0: it, it's fun. How did you hook up with Gabby? Then, like, how did you guys? So
1: there's a guy I've, I've worked with in, in the past. His name's Tom Moore. He's one of my close friends. And um, Tom brought me into his office one day, said, I've got this girl, you got to hear. her." So I I went in, I I met Gabby and she played me some songs and I was just blown away by her and and sold. And I and um, she didn't have I hope at that time. But then about two weeks later, she wrote I hope I heard that song. It blew my mind, literally blew my mind. A good friend of mine, John Knight, actually wrote that song with her. I, I just, I lost, I was like, this is the biggest hit I've ever heard in my life. I took it around to like, to all kinds of labels, begging, begging, sign this girl. This, this is a hit song. You got to sign her. um, And lots of passes, which is very typical in our business. You know, it's it, a lot of highs, mostly lows. And Warner brothers heard it. They got the vision. They, they, they knew that was a hit. And, now look where we are with her. It's like uh, it's a classic music business story, you know.
0: It's always incredible to me, you know, having been an A and R guy. Yeah, you know, Someone of your stature though comes in and like you know what have you had by now like thirty number one songs, 20, you, something 29. like
1: that. I'm close. I'm close. Right okay. around the, head, the, the bend there. I'm trying to.
0: So a guy like you should walk in my office with that that. Resume. You know, Nick, it's funny to say <laughs> I, that.
1: I, me and Ashley Gorley, who's another songwriter, we we have this conversation a lot. And Shane McAnally and I have had this conversation in the past. Like, even Shane walks in with an artist or a bunch of a batch of songs, and I don't know. It's just kind of the way it's worked, I guess, for years. And I don't, I don't know that it does blow my mind a little, but it's just kind of how it is. And and I and I've always looked at it as you know, Gabby was meant to be where she was meant to be. She wasn't meant to be at whatever labels I took her to and try to get, you know, it was, it's all meant it's all written out, you know?
0: Yeah. Well, the funny part is a lot of times in my experience anyway, when all the labels were all interested, usually that was a sign of death for the Yeah. No,
1: I know (laughs) you're right. Actually. I remember that. That was, Yeah. yeah.
0: Kind of the kiss of death. So I want to cover your whole evolution. Um, you know, I don't want to go back in time to the day you were born, but, um, I just think your path is incredibly interesting um, as a songwriter and now kind of coming back, artist, songwriter, back to a little bit of an artist again. Yeah. So I wanted to kind of start a little bit with that. Um, you found your way to the UK yeah, and had hits there. Yeah, yeah. Tell them, tell them like, how did, what led you from like Virginia yeah. to there?
1: You know, I was obsessed with songwriting in college. I started in college and I, I just started researching and I, I found this place called the Bitter End in New York City. And I <clears throat> I saw that they were having songwriters' nights. And so I would drive up to New York and go go see a songwriter's night. And I would just be enamored by it. I remember seeing Kevin Kadish um play a songwriter's round there and like God, I just dreamed of being hit. I was like, wow, like that's so cool to see him up there playing a hit song he wrote. And I just dreamed of playing. The Bitter End, so I got to know Ken, who ran the Bitter End, um, and he took a shot on me and let me start uh, playing up there. And so I'd kind of go up once a month and I'd, I'd play at the Bitter End, and there there always used to be a lot of A and R people hanging out there. Uh, and so Brian Maloof was there one night. He was A at RCA Records. I know Brian. He, he came out and um, he saw something in me and took me under his wing, gave me a development deal on Columbia records. I guess it was Columbia and RCA or the same thing. But, and then he called Kevin Griffin up from Better Than Ezra, who was like my hero at the time, still is. And Kevin took me down to New Orleans. I cut an EP with Kevin and Brian, mixed it in New York City. I remember being in New York, like working with Brian and Kanye would be in the, in the next room over making like his record. And then John Legend was walking down the hall. And this was like right as they were all breaking. It, blew, it was a mind-blowing experience being a, a kid, like maybe 20 years old and, and walking those halls and seeing all that. Um, sitting, I stood in the studio with Kanye. Is he like, like, rap? I was like in the back of the room. I don't know how I got in there or why they let me in, but he was doing one of his raps. But um, yeah, so that, that led to um, me then meeting a guy named Bill Deutsch who managed me and And got me a record deal with a label called Phonogenic Records out of the UK, which they had success with Natasha Bedingfield. And then they signed me and the script at the same time, because me and the script had the same lawyer, Fred Goldring. Um, Fred did our deals together. We we basically both moved to the UK at the same time. I think they were living in Virginia Beach, if I'm remembering correctly. And then they moved to the UK and I became friends with them. I, um, and, uh, I put my record out. Had mild, you know, it, it wasn't like terribly successful. Uh, they invested a lot of money into the into the. It was back in the days when labels would just throw money at projects, like crazy amounts of money for music video shoots. Oh, you didn't nail the video shoot? Let's go shoot another video for it. Whereas now it's like maybe you maybe get to spend two thousand dollars on your video. If not, you need to shoot it yourself. It's a different time. It's, it's crazy. Um, but I had a lot of great experiences in the UK. I learned a lot, I toured with a lot of cool people. I played a show with Mark Ronson and Amy Winehouse and Lily Allen and Krim Bailey Ray. And I was like, I remember being, my drummer was a guy named Ben Townsend. Um, he was uh, Pete Townsend's nephew. And so I got to kind of get into that circle a little and get to go to a lot of Who shows. Got to see the Who at the, uh, you know, Albert Hall and hanging backstage with Robert Plant and Roger Daltrey. Like, recognized me because I was with a band. I'm like, this is blowing my mind. What is happening? And Oasis would be back there hanging out or like, all it just. I had some really cool life experiences there. I kind of learned like the grittiness and the edginess of London and 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 like true rock and roll. Like, I got to see behind the curtain. I got to work with a guy named Guy Chambers there who produced all the Robbie Williams stuff and he's one of the most talented humans. He kind of took me under his wing as a as a friend and I learned a lot from him. He would leave the studio at night and I would stay with his engineer reworking all the tracks because um, I had ambitions to be a producer as well. I, I, you know, young kid, I didn't know what I was doing but I, I knew I loved being in the studio and making tracks and so, I just was like a sponge all those years, soaking up everything from everyone I could and, and learning the ropes.
0: Did they title your record really like introducing Ross Copperman? Was that the Welcome title to to of tra- record? Welcome to reality. Welcome to reality. Okay. <laughs> Welcome to reality.
1: I actually had it. I was, I had, it was a dream I had, and it came to me in a dream. Welcome to reality. I thought, wow, that's the, that's the title of my record. And we actually shot that, that picture in Almeria, Spain, again. Oh, really? Crazy days of labels spending crazy money. We went to Spain for a photo shoot. I mean, <laughs> what? Like, that just wouldn't happen, you know?
0: Amazing. I mean, do you, I mean, so you have some connection to the UK. I mean, do you still do any kind of writing there? I mean, I read something like you'd written with Ed Sharon. Yeah, hey, you true? know,
1: Ed, Ed came through Nashville, I guess it's over a year and a half now, and, and set up shop here for about a month. And I, we're lucky enough to get introduced to him and um we wrote like 12 songs while he was here he's this the kindest most genuine human and um we still keep in touch he he's a big part of the reason that i've, I've decided to to start putting out my own music again and, and doing it seriously and going in going hard at it he kind of gave me his blessing on two of the songs that we wrote together for my project, and. And he encouraged me, and um, that was a real big turning point for me when, when Ed kind of endorsed it and was like, I'm so happy for you to be doing this again. It must feel great to be back in the artist seat. And so it was just, it was really, that was a cool moment.
0: Right, so you're releasing um, these kind of as episodes or EPs, each yeah. one. Um, um, and this one is Somewhere There's a Light, a light is On, somewhere correct? The first light. one? Yeah, Somewhere There's a Light and How many songs on the EP? There'll
1: be five on the first one.
0: That's awesome. What vein would you say? You know, these are kind of in uh, yeah. genre-wise. You know, my
1: goal its, it's definitely a, a pop genre of maybe like an indie pop. Um, my goal with this is to—is to put out pop songs. I come from a very a place of of pop sensibilities, melodically, and so my goal is to put out a. a a group of songs that, that everyone could relate to. Some, sometimes it's hard to relate to, you know, like this new scene that's happening, like this indie punk hip hop scene or, and the, and the, the subject matter is hard for a 38 year old, 40 year old woman or man to relate to. Um, and so I wanted to put out universally relatable pop songs to show that they, it can, it can be universally relatable, you know?
0: That's awesome. Are you doing it independently or do you have like a label situation? So I
1: signed to Photo Finish Records. Um, and the GM there is a good friend of mine. His name is Mike Collin. We met years ago in New York when I was going up and doing playing The Bitter End. And um, yeah, and over the past year, I just I shocked myself. I can't believe I got a record deal.
0: Yeah. <laughs> is it strange to kind of be back into that space and yeah. kind of what's required of your time now it's, or how, as an artist or how has that changed over the years since you were doing so it?
1: invigorating and I'm coming at it now with you know 15 to 20 years of knowledge and of of knowledge of helping other artists and advising other artists and and learning from my mistakes a lot from my mistakes, all the long time ago in the UK, I I made lots of them and that, you know, and, and just being smart and um, having an open heart and open mind and not having, not, you know, just going at it in a new way is it's really fun invigorating. And it's, it's like a new chapter for me. It's like a new challenge. And that's, that's how I'm, I'm motivated. I need every like four to five years, I need something to, you know, or else you just write the same song all the time. And, you know, that's how I look at songwriting, man. It's like three to four years. Okay, I got to switch it all up. I got to, like, get everything out of my studio, move to a whole to place. I got to, like, you get comfortable and you get lazy. Mm. And, then, and then you just, well, I was writing these hit songs five years ago. They were working, but now they're not working. What's wrong? You know, if you ever get to that point, you should stop doing it. You know, you got to always stay and enjoying the process and and be like, I, I try to be ahead of ahead of things.
0: No, I think it's great that you change it up because I think there's some yeah. songwriters that have a superstition to it Sometimes, and won't al- even won't allow the room to change for like twenty so true, years Nick
1: it's so true. you gotta just you gotta wipe it clean. you really do. Complacency. That's is, good on you it's so easy and complacent, especially when you've had some success. Oh, well, whatever I'm doing is working. Well, it might have been working for that two-year period of time, but, but the world has changed vastly, and especially now, the world has changed so much in a year and a half. And the, I feel like the entire music business is completely rewritten. Like, and we don't know what it's going to look like when artists come back to playing shows. You know, touring artists that might have been selling out, selling out an arena. Are they going to be able to sell out an arena in the fall of 2021? After you know, now that you have a kid on TikTok with 10 million followers. Is that kid on TikTok going to be taking that slot? You know what I mean, right? I, I think it, that's interesting. I think change we have not seen it, man, and and I think it's like, I'm I'm excited to see what happens here.
0: Are you planning like, you know, once this COVID thing's somewhat under control, or like, are you going to do a tour around what you're doing? I would. My goal is to, you know, I'm getting music
1: out. I'm I'm I'm, I'm doing everything I can to promote it and working it and and yeah, my my. I set a like a, I guess a New Year's like goal, one of these things that you like wouldn't tell anybody. And I guess I'm telling you, but it, it'd be to like play a theater. That's, that's kind of like where the goal I'm at. You know, I'm not stopping writing and producing because I love it. And that's, that's like a big piece of my pie of what I do. And so, but my goal would be to play the rhyming, you know, and be playing my songs and some hits, some of my hits or whatever. And yeah.
0: You'll do it. I can't wait to hear it. I'm excited. I, I can't wait to hear I'll what share you've it. Created. I'll share it with you created. Yeah, I gotta hear it. So so you have this, you transition from the UK, you end up in Nashville. You know, you can talk about what inspired that or not. I, I don't care really, yeah. but you get here and you kind of have this incredible decade here. Um what is that? I mean, is that your own confidence of finding the right community? Was that country music kind of shifting, where it kind of turned into more like rock music a little bit more? I mean, interesting, man. What what, what alignment That's, happened there for great you? Great question, Nick. There's so much luck
1: involved. There's so much drive, and there's so many talented people here. I would say, like, I'm by far not even like in the top tier of talented people. I'm like if there was like this lower rung, I'd be hanging on by a thread on level of talent. You could go down to Broadway and find 25 people right now that are so much more talented than me. It, it's a, I don't
0: buy it, but go it's ahead. About, <laughs> Keep going. It's about,
1: you know, it's about drive and, and connect human connection. And um, it really is, man. And um, you know, but like maybe I, I lose track of time but 12, 13 years ago, The old style of Nashville writing was happening. You write the song, you go to lunch, come back, write a bridge, book a demo session, um, have a band come in and cut all your songs in a demo session. And that was great. I learned a lot doing that. I learned how to produce records doing that. But I started realizing, wow, if I figure out how to do Pro Tools, I can do my own demos. And then that adds value to what I do. So then I don't have to spend the other writers money or my money on going into doing demos in the studio. Um, and wow. And then if I produce the record, I can kind of like write more with the artist and kind of help decide what songs get onto the record. So I just saw these opportunities and I kind of went at them with everything I had. And, you know, with all, with that, with, with that comes a lot of sacrifice I've, I've spent my whole life grinding, you know, and I probably haven't been, been maybe the best husband that could be, or right? I haven't been in, as engaged as I would like to be with my family. I try so hard. I, I have a lot of practices. i tried like my great, my gratitude and meditation and all these things. And I'm getting better, but it's just kind of who I am. And it's, I'm a product of my childhood. And while and my dad was a very hardworking man, it's all like so I, I definitely saw that as a kid and kind of I'm kind of the type that like if a door is closed I'm gonna knock it down or I'm gonna find a way through a window
0: that's that's the, it's the attitude that's needed unfortunately it's in this the, and I always, I
1: always reference Taylor Swift like she's such a good example of that attitude. All the great ones are artist wise like Taylor like it's happening for her no matter what Kenny Chesney, Keith urban. Dirk Spranley, all these people, it's happening for like they're they're like superhuman level, those artists, yeah. you know.
0: The word wall doesn't exist for them because they're just gonna go, right, gonna go through right through it. it. So. They're
1: gonna go right through it. It takes that. It it really takes that. You can't just sit back and kind of oh, I wrote this song, I think it's really good, I hope it works. Well, if somebody says no, write the next one. Figure out, you know, or make that one better.
0: So I'm gonna go back to that so I keep the timeline here a little bit. Um, So what was like your break in getting to Nashville? I mean, was it the relationship you finally forged with Keith Urban? He he signed you to a publishing deal or did you, you had some cuts before then? Oh yeah. I always
1: forget about that. Keith, Keith did offer me a publishing deal in the very beginning, which is crazy. I, I literally forget that, which definitely added some juice to my, to my brand here with Keith offering me a publishing deal. He was just starting a publishing company with Joe Fisher. It ended up not working out because I was still tied into a deal in the UK with EMI. Ben Vaughn, who's now Warren chapel figured out how to negotiate my deal and, and brought me into the Nashville system. Um, I was stuck in like an artist publishing deal that was kind of like based on album cycles and I wasn't making albums. So I would have been stuck forever. So Ben really, really changed my life and, and got me into the game here. Um, but my break would have been, you know, I met a guy named Josh Van Valkenberg, who I still work with to this day. He's he's been everything to me. He's my pl- my plugger and my life manager and my life coach. And um, we uh, he took a shot on me. He he sat down with me, listened to my songs that were terrible in the beginning, and and helped mentor me to how to make them better. And then put me in. He he introduced me to John Knight. We didn't, me and John didn't know each other. Uh, we sat down, me and John wrote Glass the first time we ever wrote together. That song got cut by Thompson Square, which maybe got top 20, but that was a big moment. And then, you know, things start happening. You get to, I always had my dream co-writes. I always dreamed of writing with Red Akins and Ben Hayslip, Dallas Davidson, Craig Wiseman. I was, like, I was like, oh my God, I'd like give anything to write with these people. And so I wrote, First time I wrote with Ben, Hazelip, and Red because we wrote Point at You. And that ended up being my first number one song. So that was that was probably a huge, that was a big breaking moment for me. And then, you know, things like that happened and, and artists start taking notice. Like Keith, I started writing with Keith. Um, Dirks heard a demo of mine on a song called Tip It On Back. Um, and was curious about the, the sound of the demo. You know, it was, people weren't making their own demos back then. You know, so, so, when you were, they sounded different, trashier and unique, you know I, so he took a shot on me producing his record, which which really I'd probably say that was my break. Dirk's taking a shot on me producing the riser record,
0: not so bad, yeah. so let me ask you, is this yeah, I mean, the way writing takes place here now, I mean especially someone at your level or yeah. when you're writing for an artist of Keith Urban's level or Kenny Chesney. Sure. I mean, it's almost like a team effort now, isn't it? Where they kind of rely on the same guys a little bit. Is that how it kind of works now or not really you know, not so much? And
1: it's all changed in the last year and a half with Zoom. And, uh,
0: you talk about that. I'd be curious. I mean, I'm like figuring
1: it out too. I'm kind of in this moment of one of these like transitional moments now where I'm trying to figure out what. You know, Zoom has really opened up a lot of opportunities. I'm I'm writing with people now all over the world where I wouldn't normally. Like I did a session with somebody in New Zealand and somebody in LA at the same time, which is crazy, and I love that so much. Um, but then you have artists that aren't into the Zoom thing because you don't. They might not feel the human connection, which I understand. And um, I think artists are always looking for the next sound, looking for that which I totally appreciate and realize. And so yeah, they certain artists like Kenny Chesney, he know, he knows where to look for songs from certain writers. So he always comes back to some, you know, and um, Keith is one that's always pushing the envelope. So he's looking, he's looking ahead. He's Keith is not looking back to songwriters. He's at his with, he's looking ahead. Um, It's just different for each artist, you know, Um, Dirk's, Dirk's kind of is like an album-based artist. He's kind of, it's got to come from within him. He's not looking to any one group of writers or person. It's coming from within him, what he wants to say and feels like he needs to say at that time, you know?
0: Right. And when you, you know, when you're kind of writing on your own, right, and you're not collaborating at that point in time, I mean, does a song to you speak to a certain artist and you say, damn, yeah this is just for this person period. I got to get it. Oh
1: yeah. All the time. You know, like I remember we wrote nobody, but you, and we thought um was Shane and uh, Tommy Lee and Josh Osborne. um, We immediately thought, Oh my gosh, Blake would just, this would be the best Blake Sheldon song is I don't want to live without you. And then, and then, they loved it, and then they suggested putting Gwen on it, and, like, wow, that just, that just took it up to the next level. And so a lot of times we'll write a song, and we know it's a Kenny song. Like, I remember we did, uh, like, funnily enough, I remember writing John Cougar, John Deere, John 316, and we thought, wow, this is a great Kenny song. Keith heard it and loved it made it his own. He completely made that song of his in the studio. Uh, the production was so cool on that.
0: And since so you mentioned, mentioned the John, the three Johns there, um, I mean, was that a title first or was there no. actually a song And then, or how did that come it about?
1: Cause it's unique. We just kind of throwing down like vignettes of American life and things that we grew up loving and listening to and the things that defined us as, as being born in, in, in America and things we loved. And, and it kind of was like one of those moments where somebody was like, well, what about like, um, John Cougar. And then something like, oh, John Deere. And John 316, we were probably like joking, but then it was like, oh my gosh, what if we put all this together? And then we had this conundrum of, well, that can't be the title. That's too long of a title. What do we call this song? Keith suggested a picture of three Johns in a row. Three johns.
0: Yeah. <laughs> well, there you go. How American that is. So. <laughs> so let me ask, I mean, do you feel like your songwriting, you know, at one time... I think maybe you were perceived for what your contributions would be to any song. Has that changed where you've kind of grown into, you know, and I think I'm a pretty good lyricist now too, you know, not just on the music part of this. Has that, has that evolved with you?
1: It has, you know, it's funny in, in the past year and a half doing zoom rights, I've done more pop rights because it's easier to now you can zoom with somebody in, in LA and, you know, um, studying the Nashville songwriting game for Ten to twelve years will make you a better lyricist, if you want to or not, because you, it's all you're thinking about, and so it's definitely helped improve my lyric game. Um, I definitely would say I'm music and melodies first, and and structure and arrangement and just overall putting the song together would be my strength. But I'm constantly working on on balancing out the other side
0: fantastic yeah so, but I, i'm such a melody guy so i I always have been i'm too. always a sucker for that over lyrics so um i don't know yeah I just,
1: yeah i don't know what half the songs i grew up listening to are about
0: just feels harder to do i, I don't know. You know that's just me it just hits me so
1: i'm that kind of person listening to song and i'm not unless it's country music country's different i listen to the words right but other genres i'm just listening to. i'm not
0: really yeah, that, makes, that makes perfect sense Um, so are you, is producing still a big part of like how you like to spend your time? Do you have like your own studio? Do you do full projects or do you do song by song or the song you're involved in? How does it work?
1: I have a studio here at my house. I actually just got my upright piano from my mom, which I had when I was eight years old. I just mic'd it up. And so every song I do starts here in my studio. I've got Prophet six here in front of me. I've got, all my guitars and um so everything i do starts here and then usually ends in a studio like go to blackbird or oceanway and cut a band on top of what i've started producing will always be a big part of what i do because i just love the process i love taking a song and and taking it to the next level and getting a vocal that just blows people's minds and bringing the best out of an artist is one of my favorite things to do getting great vocals is one of my favorite things and, and one of the things I'm best at um, because I've, I've spent a lot of time singing on microphone in my studio. So I know I've dialed in exactly how I wanted the sound of the headphones to be the most inspiring for me. And so I know how to make it the most inspiring for Kenny Chesney. If he's cutting a vocal, I can give him that extra magic to then bring out the best. Awesome.
0: So really what's happening now is you're trying to spend more time with your family and you think COVID would do that, but now you have to write twenty four seven to deal with all the time zones.
1: It's true. It's true. It makes it harder. Yeah, yeah. But there's a lot of time saved because you're not driving into town. You're not doing lunch. You're not. It's just business time. It's not like what are we writing? What ideas do we have? Let's go.
0: Do kids get allowed just to break into the studio anytime they want, or do you have a?
1: <laughs> oh yeah, my kids are my kids are like so talented. Are they
0: really? Do they play instruments now?
1: Yeah, they all they all play like. Piano and guitar. My son's a drummer, and my nine-year-old Iris is a better songwriter than I am. Wow, she really is. It's pretty crazy. Wow, wow. But you know, being around it, they've they've been in, they've been engulfed by it their entire life. So, you know,
0: second nature, right? Second nature.
1: Uh, yeah. It's second nature. to them. Did it's you have that nature. in your household? I did not. I. It all came from within me. I. I was classically trained on piano. And my parents made me practice and I hated it for a long time. I, I hated it and I wanted to quit, just like everybody wants to quit, but they wouldn't let me because I'd gone, I'd come too far to quit, you know, and which I'm thankful now that they didn't let me.
0: They were right. So, so let me ask you could <laughs> you know, you, you were a co writer on a song called Female, right? Um, and Keith Urban cut that, yes. I mean, do you think that's something, I mean, as fast as Nashville's kind of changing a little bit in its social norms, is that something that you could do today? Or do you think you guys would have gotten kind of your heads chopped off? So,
1: You know, I try to think about that. I I like to just write what what we feel and what, if we had to, you know, I I guess we like ask for forgiveness later. Like if an artist loved it so much, we could change it later, but. I was so passionate about that song, especially at the time. It was very timely. We wrote it, and Keith cut it like two weeks later, and it was out in, by the third week. I produced it on Keith, it was, it was out three weeks later. So it was so current and timely. Um, I think the Stephen Colbert thing probably heard it. He made made fun of it on his show. Oh, he did? Pretty funny. Oh. The cat said they took every emotional throw pillow, every like cheesy line from emotional throw pillow. Oh, threw it. Well, that's the a
0: compliment. there's something creative about that um and do you kind of see like the town like changing socially as we go here i mean it seems like um you know a lot of more african-american guys take getting shots at this and women it's 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 kind of fantastic yeah it's pretty awesome so because i can always remember my dad playing charlie pride you know as italian kid in upstate new york and I always found that, you sure. know, wow, that's kind of progressive. My dad, you know, we were listening to Charlie Pride when we were kids.
1: Sure, sure. It's definitely changing, isn't it? Which is so cool to see. It's like we're living in a fun. It's a really cool time to be in Nashville and to be part of this this movement you've
0: been part of it now for a while so you
1: said five females nominated for single of the year that's that's amazing take that country
0: radio there you go (laughs) you
1: know like it's a male dominated format it's 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 changing before our eyes it's here it's fantastic it's happening
0: so um do you have your own publishing company now do you and keith have a publishing company or
1: i start me me, keith and joe fisher started a company called boom um there's a Guy named Jordan Mitten who writes for boom. He's about to have his first hit with uh, Nico moon.
0: And how's that for you to be like on that side of the table a little bit?
1: It's been fun to, to, to do that and to help, help support Jordan and other writers. And uh, How many
0: writers do you have signed?
1: Well, just Jordan. And then there's a girl named Lauren LaRue who writes for boom and prescription. Um, She's so talented. She had she had a hit last year with a song called Roxanne. Roxanne. Oh, that's, Roxanne. yeah, I know that song. It's like <laughs> a big pop song. song. Yeah. She's, wow. she's incredibly talented. That's
0: impressive. Is there anything currently right now you're listening to that's new that you really kind of dig?
1: I just discovered Jeremy Zucker. I really love him. I I never, there's just so much music. Um, I'd never heard of him and um, Chelsea Cutler. He, he sings with a lot. I love what they're doing. Um, I, I am loving this kind of like 90s emo punk rock rebirth. It's pretty cool because I, that's what I grew up listening to, like Blink-182 and Third Eye Blind and all this stuff. It's cool to hear it all revamped, um, like indoor and the and.
0: It's such know, a fire hose of music, though. You know, I was reading Spotify's report this week, and they were saying they, they put up 60,000 yeah. new songs a day, get uploaded.
1: 60,000 a day a day i do wonder what that the effect of that's going to be it's the saturation is definitely it's becoming just so easy for everyone just everyone's doing it it's
0: true but i just wonder if it's going to causation of i don't know more addiction to music because there's just so much of it you know what i mean so many different flavors and
1: I can't even keep up with New Music Friday anymore. I used to know every artist on New Music Friday. You used to know most of the artists. Now it's like, wow, I know three of them. Now
0: that I'm doing this podcast, you know, every publicist shoots stuff out on Fridays and it's like, who's the, who's the, what is all this? Yeah. I mean, I can't believe the volume that comes in on a Friday. Like, holy cow.
1: Yeah. It's interesting to see how that's going to, in 10 years, we're going to look up and.
0: (sighs) We'll see. Well, it's the same in podcasting. So I'm kind of learning a little lesson about that.
1: But I do love that it's, it's a fair shot for anyone now. It didn't used to be a fair shot for anyone. And I have a, I have a nonprofit called song farm where we build studios in high schools. We've built uh, three studios. So now, including my high school back in rural Virginia. And the goal was to, to give kids in high school, the knowledge and the, and the, just the idea that, Hey, you can do music. Music is an option as a career. I didn't know that i never knew that growing up up in a small town that music was an option i thought you know you had to choose a job you know and so and i and i always tell these kids at these schools like hey you can have a hit as easily as anyone i know can like you have just as much a shot of having a viral hit song as anyone i know which is so cool it didn't used to be like that you used to have to go get a record deal you have to have to all these people but now you make it happen yourself. They come to you.
0: Yep, gatekeepers everywhere. Back in our day, so
1: everywhere, man. It was all about the gatekeepers. I hated man, it's it. It's
0: brutal. How many schools do you have? Like an idea of how much you want to scale that?
1: Oh, I mean, man, we're 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 we've partnered with Save the Music. We each one Save the Music, amazing organization. And we're we do an event each year called Hometown to Hometown, where we where we kind of honor two songwriters. Uh, And then we go build a studio in each of their schools. So like last year, we did Nicole Galleon. We we just built a studio in Sterling, Kansas at her high school. This year, we're doing Brandy Clark and Jimmy Robbins. And then we're going to go, we raise money at this event. And then we go build a studio, Jimmy's, and then Brandy. Oh, that's cool. So, I mean, before we know it, we're going to be at six, seven, eight studios. Some dude gave us, walked up and handed me a check for 50 grand at the last event and said, go build a studio at whatever school you want. And we can build these things for five to eight thousand dollars. It's just setting it up; it's getting the school on board with a curriculum around it, having like sign-up sheets. It's it's really, really amazing, and it's cool to hear like which schools are making with different the types of music. Each school is coming out. That's with. That's awesome. Know, this is cool.
0: Yeah, I need a link to that so when we publish this, that we can put that in there. I'd love that. So sure, it's
1: songfarm.org. And
0: yeah, that's awesome. I am all about that. So. All right, my friend, I'm gonna let you jump. Um, I appreciate you doing this. I can't wait to hear your new music as an artist.
1: I'll shoot it over to you today.
0: Yeah, I'm thrilled to hear it. So, um, and I wish you the best of luck with that. And um, thank you for doing this. I'm extremely grateful and uh, much health to you and your family. You
1: too, Nick. Thanks for your time. Thank you for this. This This was awesome.
0: All right, my man. Thank you so much. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening this week. To follow what's going on with this podcast, you can go to theradicalpod.com. theradicalpod.com. You'll find show notes and past episodes and uh, even a little swag there if you want a t-shirt or a hat. I would be honored if you'd subscribe at Apple or Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Till next week.